Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's say it together. Ready? Begin. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In the second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul outlays Bible truths and important doctrines, but also takes the time to write to Timothy, who is no doubt timid. He's a fearful young man in the ministry, and, the, uh, uh, you know, there, and he has all right to be. There are certain things in ministry that cause you to fear or threaten you, if you will. And the Apostle Paul is uh, simply helping a timid man, a young godly man, to overcome his fears by giving him some biblical truth. In chapter 1, 2, and 3, and 4, we see different things given uh, to Timothy. He, he reminds him of the uh, certainty of suffering as a Christian. He reminds him how that he should continue to stay true to the Scriptures in an ungodly society. And he reminds him, of, of course, the importance of simply his conduct in the ministry when he's opposing, if you will, or confronting uh, ungodly men and also to be consistent in preaching the word of God in all seasons of life. Yes, even in the bad times. Uh, this letter of uh, uh, Paul to Timothy has wonderful, not only biblical truths and doctrine, but also encouragement to any young godly man. Paul was nurturing a young man who had a heart, no doubt, for the Lord. And we know that from Paul's epistles, even to the Philippians, when he says to the Philippians that uh, Timothy is like-minded, he naturally cares for your state, uh, opposing uh, these other men who seek their own uh, and not the things that are Christ. So we know that from his other epistles, Timothy had a heart for God. He had a heart for God and he had a heart for people. Now, although Timothy was authentic in his service and ministry to the Lord, he still was timid. Although he was teachable, there was some sort of fear, if you will, uh, that he perhaps needed to deal with. Now, we have to say this, and I have to say it clearly, that just because we have a man that may be timid or reserved or whatever, maybe not having the same boldness and courage that Paul had, uh, doesn't mean that he was out of God's will or he was backslidden in any way. I just want you to know that. It, it, it is a natural thing for people to be fearful. It's not sin to fear or to fear, uh, feel discouraged or, 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 or have these emotions. It's only you know, sin when we simply don't overcome them by God's grace and his word. It's, it's sin when they move us out of the will of God and uh, keep us down, if you will. But it's not sin to have a natural emotion of fear. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said that when sudden fear comes, that's the time I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Or that's my time that I put my faith in the Lord. When fear cometh, when, you know, just it comes out of nowhere, it, 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 it smites our heart. I become fearful. What am I supposed to do? Trust the Lord. You know, trust God. Don't let those fears just simply control your life. The Apostle Paul reminds Timothy what kind of spirit God has given us because he definitely hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Fear doesn't come from God. That fear uh, that moves us away from the things of God is not from God. You know, when you fear in such a way where you uh, drop the ball or you become unfaithful 
and uh, you do not do, do the things that God has called you to do, and you know that you should do, those fears are not from God. There's a, they, we have to understand there are different kinds of fears. There's a healthy fear, and there's an unhealthy fear. And God has given, not given us a spirit of fear. In other words, this uh, fearfulness, this cowardness, this is what this uh, word relates to, to be a coward, uh, to, to, to run or retreat. Uh, God has not given us a spirit of cowardness or, or fearfulness that we should not trust God because that, that's what we're left with by default. You either trust God and he gives you strength and ability to continue or you doubt you know, when fear comes and you drop the ball and, uh, and, and you're down and out and you do not the things that God has called you to do. So the healthy fear uh, is simply opposing the unhealthy fear. There's two Fears here. One's good, one's healthy, one's unhealthy. And the healthy one is when we have this utmost respect for God and we follow God and we love God and it's a fear that keeps us from danger or evil or from immorality. The Bible says very clearly the fear of the Lord is to hate evil and it's the beginning of wisdom. That's a healthy fear. Uh, you know, that's a good fear. Uh, you know, there's other fears that we are healthy in a sense, humanly speaking. If I see a dog I don't, uh, that is very vicious and he's running to get me, I don't run to him and pat him. I run away from him. That's healthy. If I'm on the, pref pref uh, on, on the cliff, on the, uh, on the edge, if you will, and uh, I look down, all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, I, I, there's a natural fear that keeps me from danger. We're not talking about that fear. We're talking about the unhealthy fear that God has not given us. That keeps us away from doing the very things that God has called us and clearly to do. And Paul reminds Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, not this unhealthy fear. The unhealthy fear, the, it, it, this fear that simply fears man and supersedes or hinders our faith. And as a result, causes us to disobey God. That's the unhealthy fear. The healthy fear is, you know, just simply has the attitude of Joseph who said, how can I commit this great wickedness and sin against God? It's healthy. Okay, it's a healthy fear. The unhealthy fear has the attitude of Peter pre-Pentecost. When they asked him, are you his disciples? And three times he says, no, I'm, I'm not. Three times, that's unhealthy. What about post-Pentecost? What did Peter say? We must obey God rather than man. How did he have that healthy, uh, you know, wonderful fear of God to stand up in the face of persecution and the Sanhedrin of that day and speak up and say, no, we must obey God rather than man. And once upon a time, he, you know, denied Christ in front of them. Now he speaks with boldness. That's healthy fear. The unhealthy fear is, causes you to get out of the will of God. So how do we deal with this unhealthy fear that cripples us? Well, firstly, we need to identify that it's not from God. So where's it from? Where does it come from? Well, number one, it comes from within. There's fear that comes from within and it wants to preserve or protect life. Uh, Jesus said, and he called the people and his disciples and he said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, shall what? Lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall what? Save it. 
So there's a fear because of God and his word and Christ and the gospel that, you know, brings to our life and that comes within that, oh, no, I'm in great danger. I'm losing this. I'm losing that. I'm losing this because of the gospel. And it wants to protect those things that perhaps threatens our life and that come within. That's why Revelation 21, and the fearful and the unbelieving. They want to hold on to their life. Shall have their pocket part and like say so those people that you know just want to treasure the creature more than the creator. Fears that come from within. And there are those fears that come from without. The fears that without threaten and persecute our life. Those people that try to verbally and, and not only verbally but physically harm us. Now have a look at 2 Timothy 1:8. Look what Paul says to Timothy. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Look at this. Nor of me, his what? His prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. I mean, you know, what did the Lord go through? What's Paul going through? Don't be ashamed of that. Because humanly speaking, if you're uh, persecuted and suffering and handcuffs and all, and you don't have the status quo, you think, mate, what kind of uh, you know, victory does this person have? Look at him, he's a bum in the eyes of the world. Don't be ashamed of the Lord, neither me, his prisoner. But look at this, he says, but look at this conjunction. But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So be a partaker of it, Timothy. Don't be a coward. This is the Christian life. That's what it is. That's what it is. And this is just trying to encouraging. And 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, for the which cause I also, also suffer these things. If you read it prior to that, we don't have much time talking about the gospel. He suffers many things because of the gospel. The gospel brings about suffering because, you know, people don't want to hear it at times. There's a lot of people that just don't want to hear the truth. I want to hear you tell them that they're sinners in need of a savior. I mean, that's offensive. I want to hear it that without Christ, you're going to hell. I mean, that's too forceful. You can't say that. Who's given us authority to say that? The Lord has. Well, it's the truth. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth. And he is the truth. And we need to proclaim the truth. And when you do, you get in trouble. You suffer. You know, Sambalot and Tobiah were trying to hinder Nehemiah from building the walls. And he understood that. And you know what he said regarding them? Notice, he said this, that they would have put me in fear. They were trying to cause Nehemiah to be fearful that his hands will be weakened for the work that God at that particular time called him to do. If the enemy could put fear in your heart and stop you from doing the very things that God has called you to do, in his eyes he's one. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has given us some precious things to overcome those things. Wonderful things. And we must understand the things that God has given us, the spirit of power, love, and sound mind is theology. God is, te uh, uh, God is teaching by, by the Spirit of God through Paul, this young man, Timothy, what kind of things that God has given us to overcome. It's theology. And what we, know, what we have, what, we, what we've been taught, and, and we have to understand that what we've been taught and what we learn influences our hearts and minds. It, it brings comfort. Uh, not only that, but we, what we believe impacts how we behave. It really does. 
you know, uh, divine doctrine affects our conduct. So notice these three things that he says. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and to simply um, hold on to. Number one, God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear, but of? Power. Divine strength. God's ability. Listen, not just any kind of power. God's power. And if you understand how powerful God is, you just read your Bible and you see how omnipotent God is. And God is able. The reason why we limit God is we don't understand his power. We don't understand what God is able to do and capable to do. I mean, you read your Bible and see the children of Israel under, mis misunderstood or underestimated the power of God even when they saw it, saw it ten times. Even when they saw the Red Sea split in two. Even when they saw the manna and saw the water. They still, they still doubted God's power. You know, the same word is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When he commissioned his disciples, he says, after that, uh, uh, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And by the way, that will give us a very good indication where the power comes from. The working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Someone once said this, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to serve God. And through him, we can overcome fear and weaknesses. God is the one that gives us the grace and the ability to do the very thing that God has called us to do and wills us to do. He gives us the strength to do the very things that we cannot do by ourselves. Uh, it is useless for us to even try to serve God without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can just go through the motions and it won't last. It'll be short-lived. I mean, we can have the training, we can have the talents, we can have the experience, but without the power of God, everything else will be short-lived. We need God's power in order for us to be consistently moving forward. A Christian who is led by the Spirit of God and allows God to do a mighty work in them. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly uh, able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we even ask or think according to the what power that worketh in us same word that word power is the same word used that strength and ability that god or grace that god gives us through his spirit now god is the one who grants us divine strength to do those things that please him, being confident of this very thing, Paul said to the Philippians, that he who begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, for it is God that worketh in you both to do, both to, to will and do of his what? Good pleasure. It is God that works in the heart of people by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the very things that please God. Even in the face of opposition, God is able to give us grace to preach the word with boldness. Remember the strength uh, that God gave simply the disciples when they were threatened. You know, they were threatened by the religious mob. And uh, they were preaching in the name of Jesus. Said, you, uh, you know, we forbid you to preach in the name of Jesus. And they threatened them and they went and sought the Lord and God gave them boldness to preach the word. The strength to remain faithful in the face of fear. Power. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Power. Remember this, with God's calling, God come, for your life comes God's enabling. God will never tell you to do something without giving you the power to do it. And we know that every single one of us has a different calling. And God called the apostles, and I learned this a long time ago, I'm not an apostle. 
So don't try to be like Paul. God had a special calling for the Apostle Paul and gave him the grace for that calling. Did you know that? The Apostle Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he said, I labored more abundantly than they at all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so we have to understand with God's calling comes God's enabling. Moses was fearful when God called him to deliver the children out of the hand of a uh, you know, tyrant out of Egypt. He gave about four reasons why he couldn't. And uh, perhaps next week I want to elaborate on these four reasons, four or five reasons. But I'll give you a little uh, you know, rundown now. You know, the first thing when God called him to go and deliver the people, he said this. He says, who am I? Who am I? In other words, he felt in inadequate. Who am I? You know what God said to him? You know what God's response to him was? He says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you, Moses. He felt inadequate. But God's reassuring him that I'll be with you. In other words, it's a promise that we have even in the New Testament that God will never leave us nor forsake us. I'll be with you. Thank God for that. By the way, even in the Great Commission, God said that he'd be with us always, even under the end of the world. Amen. Isn't that comforting? God is with us. We feel inadequate. Perhaps it's an emotion that everyone feels uh, with what God has called them to do, even if you're a mother in, in, in raising up children. But you know, God is with you. He'll give you the ability to do it. He's given us his word. And he's with you to help you. And of course, the Holy Spirit guides us in that way. Uh, second of all, he was inferior. He goes, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't even know what to tell them. When, you know, if they tell me, you know, who are you? Like, uh, who gave you this authority? And you know what God says to him? Tell him the great I am sent you. <laughs> the self-existing one sent you. Wow. I mean, imagine having that kind of authority behind you. Amen. The God of the universe is with you. He's the one that's sent you. You tell them. The great I am, I am that I am, sent you. What a wonderful thing it is. And uh, he felt ineffective. They won't believe me. They won't believe me. And God gives him three illustrations. Number one, he gives him uh, a rod that turns into a serpent. Number two, he causes his hand to have leprosy and then he revives it again. Number three, he turns water into blood. God demonstrates his power before him. Number four, he felt incompetent. He said, I can't speak. I can't talk. I, I, by the way, I feel the same. He says, I'm not eloquent. And God's response to him said, who made the mouth? <laughs> who made the mouth of man? Yeah. And then Moses said, I'm insufficient. He says, send someone else. After all that, Moses, after all that, God reassuring you, showing you his power, you're still... And that's when God got very, very angry. Very angry. And he said, here, take your brother with you. Take Aaron. <laughs> you know, with God's calling come, comes God's enabling. He'll give you the power. And the power of God is not only manifested by the Spirit of God, but also it's manifested by the Word of God. The Word of God that God gives us include His promises for us. Man, it's found in this book. God's promises are wonderful. 
First Thessalonians 2, the Bible says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, look at this, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That word uh, effectually worketh means to simply make mighty in or to work with power. The word of God, when you believe it, it's going to do a great work. There is a mighty power, a miracle work that takes heart in the heart of men when he believes God's word. You didn't take it as man's word. And by the way, when people just follow man's word, you know what happens? They're tossed it to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But when you're convicted, and that's the word of God, and he spoke to me, and it's clear, and you know what? It, it, it's going to work in your heart. It's going to put a dent in your heart. It's going to edge your heart. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to make an impression. He wants to leave an impression in your heart. And they're the wonderful things that you do not forget. You can look back and you say, oh, I know God worked in my heart there. No matter what men may say, I know God's working in my heart. Second of all, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love. Love. Someone once said, selfishness leads to fear because if we are selfish, we are interested only in what we will get out of serving God and will be afraid of losing prestige, power or money. True Christian love, true Christian love by the Spirit enables us to sacrifice for others and not be afraid. You know, in our passage before us, what do we see Demas do? What did Demas do? He forsook the ministry, he forsook the Apostle Paul, and he turned to loving what? Worldly pleasures. And in that, that, that's found in chapter 4. He tells us all of a sudden, Demas became unprofitable because he loved himself more than the Saviour. And in chapter 3, the Bible tells us perilous times, many, there are people, that will be lovers of what? Self. And lovers of what? Pleasure. More than God. And you know what? Demas became a perfect example of that in this epistle. You can either have a love that loves self or a love that loves God. Love God more than pleasure. Love God the creator more than the created. Love the blesser more than the blessing. Yes. Love him. God has given us that love. He shed abroad in our heart by the spirit of God. Pause in our hearts and help us to continue to mature in love. You know what John said? John said this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath what? Torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And if you read that passage again for the sake of time, I wish we had time just to read that passage. He reminds us of what we have in Christ. We love him because he first loved us. Same context. We come back to remembering, if you will, how God loved us and we love him. And if we love him, we'll serve him no matter what the circumstances are. No matter what they are. You know, the Apostle Paul had several motivations and why he served the Lord, but one of them was supreme out of all. And I want you to turn, leave your finger there, and turn to 2, Tim, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 
We notice several things that would have motivated the Apostle Paul to live for Christ. But there is one that he expressed that stood out from the rest. I want you to see from verses 1 to 8, Paul was motivated by looking to uh, or longing to be in the presence of the Lord. We don't have time to read the whole verses 1 to 8. Perhaps you can do it in your spare time. But verse 8 says this, For we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be what? present with the Lord you know what motivated the apostle Paul was this for me to live is Christ and to die is what gain that's what motivated him and I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord what a blessing Uh, second of all we see from uh, verses 9 to 10 that Paul was motivated to please his Lord he says wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him whether we're with the Lord or we're not with the Lord, you know what his longing desire was? That God will have uh, simply acceptance, that he would please God, that his service was well done, my good and faithful servant. He says it in verse 10, look at this. For we all must, sorry, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be what? Good or bad. Number three, verse 11, Paul was motivated by the person of the Lord. Look at this. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we what? Persuade men. We persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord. You know what Paul's saying here? We're all going to stand before God and give an account. And the people that we preach to will stand before the Lord and give an account. We'll stand before the Lord and give an account. And they will stand before the Lord and give an account. Now, I know and understand that we've been redeemed and justified and sanctified. And mate, what a wonderful thing that is. But it also should be a sobering thing that we meet to serve the Lord, like the Hebrew writer says, acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. There ought to be that in, in the Christian life. You know, God, there's a side of him that's holy, my friends. He is. He's a holy God. And he needs to be served in a holy manner in a way that is acceptable unto the Lord. We're living in Christianity today that people are just simply doing what they please, tagging the name of God to it. And it's not holy. We need to make sure that we serve the Lord his way. Amen. Number four, verses 12 to 13, Paul was motivated by the people of God or for the people of God. He loved them. Uh, It is God who called Paul to risk his life and suffer many things for his sake. And by doing so, it was reaching the people. Look at what he says in verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you an occasion to glory on our, uh, uh, but give you an occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in what? Heart. In other words, the Apostle Paul saying there are those that are phony, they're showy, they're not genuine in the heart. And he's not simply writing this to, uh, to defend the integrity of his ministry uh, uh, for, the, for the fact that he wanted their praise. He's defending the integrity of the ministry that his ministry will continue to have a, have a profitable work in their life. He was more concerned. He says, look, look, at, look at the next verse here. He says in verse 13, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is for God. If you think we're absolutely crazy and we're nuts, it's for God. 
The reason why we risk our life, we love the truth and we're going to live for the truth. And if you think we're, you know, beside, it's for God. But whether we be sober, he says, it's for your cause. We're doing this because it's for you. Not that they are crazy. Festus thought that Paul was crazy. He says, much learning doth make thee mad. And a lot of people think you're crazy. You go out on the street and you tell them about the Lord. They think you're crazy. Go get a life. I got one. It's in Christ and it's wonderful. I had a man just a couple of days ago when I was witness to him in the bus stop. He says, go get a job. And I had Matthias there. I said, I have one job. Uh, I said to Matthias, what's my uh, job? He says, a preacher. I said, there you go. I said, go get some respect. Go get some respect. The, the, the pre, a job of there, a vocation of a preacher. <laughs> go, get a, go get a real job. We have a real job. We're trying to help you see that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account. And you will. You, you, you don't, if we didn't believe that there was a resurrection, it would be a different story. We'd live like you. Eat, drink, die, and that's it. There's a resurrection. And you're going to be raised one day and stand before God. And the reason why we're willing to look like fools is because of you. It's for you. It's for your sake. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he said, but if I, I'm straight betwixt the two, whether to depart or to, 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 you know, to be with the Lord, which is far better. But for me to remain here is for your benefit, he says. It's for you. Man, I would love to go with the Lord. By the way, there was a, a time in my life that I was beaten down. And I was absolutely facing one trial after another trial. This was like early in my Christian life. Not now, early. I, I remember very clearly the times where I just wanted to go home. I said, I just want to go home. just want to go home. I want to be with you. I felt like that for so long. So many things were happening in the early part of my Christian life. I, I lost so much. My own mum said I was mad and, and, and you've just lost this girl and this and that. I said, you don't understand. And thanks be to God that I continued to remain faithful. A year later, mum got saved. But I remember that being in that, Lord, just take me home. And God allowed something in my life that never made me say that again. Never. It was almost like I wanted a spiritual suicide. Felt like Elijah. And uh, it's a long story for another day. But something happened. Dad was present there. And God used it for him and for his salvation. But I remember that my life was almost taken in broad daylight by ungodly men. And I almost stepped into eternity. The doctor said at the hospital that just a little bit more, that's an artery, they would have, you would have been God. In part of me said, oh Lord, just a little bit more would have been with you. But the other part of me said, well, what about your mom? And what about your dad? And what about these people that you're trying to, you've only got one chance to make a difference and that stuck with me. One chance. It's a selfish thing in a sense. What about those that are around you? And God taught me never to say that again because he might just take me. But in, not in his time. A premature death. No. And so, but the greatest thing that Paul was motivated with is found here. And I want you to see it in verse 14. One of the greatest motivations 
the superior, I believe, that drove Paul to do all that he did for Christ was the passion that he had for the Lord because he understood how much he was loved by the Lord. Look at this. For the love of Christ constraineth us. You know what Paul was saying? I am absolutely arrested and constrained by his love. I am captivated. This is a man that really saw how much God loved him. What was the demonstration? Have a look. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. You see what I'm sure? He, he understood that if when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all. And if he didn't do what he came to do, then we'll all have no hope. We'll be all dead. He realized what Christ had come and God commendeth his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew the demonstration of God's love by the offering of his son. And he was thankful and he was, and he was arrested by that uh, Calvary love. And that was the very thing that drove him to live for Christ. Look at the next verse, 15. And that he died for all. That they which live, those are the believers, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. And what? Rose again. Those people that live, those that trusted Christ, now should not live for themselves, but how? To live for him who died for them and rose again. You know what keeps us going? is the love. God has given us the spirit of love. That's what keeps us... The love that God has shown toward us, but also this, the love that we need to show toward God. Remember when Peter kind of backslid, uh, when he denied th uh, uh, the Lord three times and he was there at the Sea of Tiberias in John 21, he went back fishing again and the Lord called him and had the, he had a, like a dinner with him. You remember the three questions that the Lord told Peter? The three questions, you remember them? The same questions. It was like Peter was sitting in preschool, still learning the ABCs of God's love. Do you love me? I, I, yeah, I love you. Then what? Feed my sheep. Peter, do what I've called you to do. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. If you love me, go love my people and feed them. God has given us a spirit of love. Love sacrifices for others. It, it's not self-pity. Come on, Peter, get over yourself. Yeah, he was down and out. There's no doubt he was. I mean, wouldn't you be down and out if you denied the Lord three times? I'd be down and out. I think, you know, God's done with me, man. There is so much fear and just gripped my heart and... Man, I just, I, I, you know, this is a man that said, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. And now he was there and, and, and denying Christ. And he's now thinking, how did I do that? Well, you need God's power. <laughs> you can't do it on your own, Peter. You need God's help. See, God knew his heart. There's no doubt he loved him. But if you love me, do what I've called you to do. And in this case, God wanted Peter to go love God's people. You know what the Apostle Paul said? He says, I endure all things. This is, go back to our passage, 2 Timothy 2. 
and look at verse 10. Go back to our passages, 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 10. Look at Paul says, he says, Therefore I endure all things for whose sake? The elect's sake. That they, may obtain, that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The reason why I endure the sufferings that come upon me because of the gospel is because of God's people. And this is the no greater love that God says he wants us to have. To be willing to lay down our lives for others. This is called a Christ-like love. But no one can truly have this love if they have not experienced the love of God in their life and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no way in the world. You know what Jude says? Keep yourself in the love of God. Uh, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And look at, and some have compassion making a difference. With others, save with fear, pulling pull them out of the fire. There's no way in the world you can have compassion upon others if you don't keep yourself in the love of God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And what's the last one? Sound mind. This is a sober mind, a self-disciplined mind. And to have a sober mind is to think biblically. To have a sober mind is to be self-disciplined to live biblically. It's to be sober, not to be silly or, uh, you know, um, uh, in, 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 intoxicated by uh, entertainment or spirits or this or that. That you know, you know, you need to think biblically. You need to think uh, in, in a way of, uh, you know, uh, wisdom. No, you need to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. God wants you to think biblically, knowing the will of God and executing it. And you know what? In this context, for example, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Timothy, everyone that lives godly shall suffer persecution. Know your Bible. Think biblically. This is going to happen. This has happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, in Lystra. Listen, it's going to happen to anyone that lives godly. Understand this, Timothy. Understand this. Think biblically. What we go through because of the, for, for, for the gospel's sake and for the Lord's sake and for righteousness' sake, what we suffer is normal Christianity. Now, everyone has a level, kind of different persecutions, depending on their ministry and their calling. But if you're on the front line and you're a preacher and evangelist, man, you're going to get it more than others. But anyone that lives godly shall suffer persecution. Anyone that lives and lifts up the name Jesus Christ and is a salt and a light. But you know what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. This is only depicts that such is the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is the disposition of someone that has blessings in heaven. Riches in heaven. You've lost things for the cause of Christ. Family, materials, possessions, jobs. God will repay you. Not in this life, but next hundredfold. That's a promise. And I believe that promise. It doesn't have to be tangible. It can be in other forms of blessings. And how God blesses us. Uh, you know, it's enough to be in the, in, in, a servant of, the, of God, which is a blessing. But he calls his disciples even more than that. He says, I've called your friends. Wow, God wants to be my friend. Anyone see the moon yesterday? See how big it was and so clear? And you look at that and you think, wow, my dad made that. 
sober-minded. My dad made that. My heavenly father made that. Yep. And every day it speaks of his majesty. And that's my heavenly father. And you know what? John says, behold, what manner of love that God has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God. And he goes on to say, the world doesn't know you because they don't know him. Jesus spoke about this ample times to his disciples that a servant is not greater than his Lord, that you will suffer persecution for him. You read John 15. You read it and you see. As a matter of fact, in this epistle, in this letter to Timothy, in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, there is a mention of an enemy that's always going to persecute us. Or in some form. I want you to see in chapter 1, look at, look at uh, verse 15. He says, This thou knowest, so this, Timothy already knew about this, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Figilus and Hermogenes, abandoned, he says, he, he, they turned away from him, they abandoned him. When Paul needed them most, they departed and left him and deserted him. So we see here the persecution of shallow brethren. When the going gets tough, when the going gets tough, when you're persecuted by wicked people, See you later. Isn't that a worldly proverb? That's when you know who your true friends are. But thank God for people like one of, uh, what's his name? How do you pronounce his name? Wanifa, let, me, let me see if I can get it right here. It's in, it's in verse 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Wanisaphorus. Oh, well, maybe one day he'll help us in heaven. But he's got a new name there. Look at this. For he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my what? There you go. Oh, you're humiliated, Paul. Look at you. You're in chains. See you later, Paul. We can't get anything of you anymore. We've done with you. We've used you. We came what we get. We're gone. You're useless to us. And now we have a man that's actually been an encouragement to Paul when he needed it. He says it here to Timothy. He says it very clearly to Timothy. Uh, he says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Wanisaphorus, for he often, regularly refreshed me. Often. Often. Wow, what a blessing. Chapter 2, have a look. 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 17. The persecution of false teachers. And their word will eat as doth a what? Canker, gangrene of whom Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection had passed already and overthrown the faith of some. There you go. Distorting Bible truth. Uh, these people that simply bring gangrene into the body of Christ. What do you do with gangrene? You cut it off. Paul wasn't afraid of that. Trying to hinder the faith of some. But let me say this to you. I thank God, as, long, as much as they try and keep trying, we need to push back by preaching and exposing, but I thank God. Look at the next verse, verse 19. For the assurance that God gives us, nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. 
And let everyone that named the name of Christ depart from what? It's like, the, it's like the devil. The devil's fighting against God, but it's a losing battle. You want to, These false teachers that try to hinder or overthrow the faith of a genuine Christian, it's a losing battle. The Lord is going to see me through. Now, would it hurt them at that present moment? It does. We're not saying let them continue. But at the end of the day, when God simply uh, you know, gives assurance to his child, no one can take that away from him. God knows who they are, and you know who he is. And I continue to live a holy life. I depart from evil. Be saying that there's no resurrection gives you the liberty to go live the way you want. No, there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. We're going to give an account one day, and these false teachers want to uh, you know, cause you to live loosely in an unholy life. No. I thank God God knows me. But I still have a responsibility to depart from what? Evil. Number three. Have a look at chapter 3, the persecution of evil men. Look at verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being what? Deceived. Being deceived. And he encourages Timothy, but you, Timothy, continue, continue, continue. Number four, the persecution of evil uh, 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 of an evil man, singular. You have evil men, but you have, an, you have people that would be simply a thorn in your flesh, so to speak, trying to discourage you. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith. Paul said he did me much what? Evil, much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. In other words, let him reap what he sows. Maybe he'll learn a lesson from it. Of whom be thou aware also. Timothy, be aware. For he hath greatly withstood what? Our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. Can you imagine that? The apostle Paul trying to expose this person. And they, no, no one stood with him. But look what Paul says. But he says, I pray God that it may not be laid on their charge. Why? Fearful. It could be that they were stricken with fear. Paul understood that. God, please forgive him. He's not saying like he's saying to Alexander the coppersmith, who probably purposely knew what he was doing. These people, perhaps out of fear, just fled. Verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Praise God for that. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Amen. By me, the preaching might fully be known that all the Gentiles might hear and while I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love. And of a sound mind. You know, Jesus taught about persecution regularly. Read Matthew chapter 10. Read Matthew chapter 24. Read the scriptures and you see that persecution upon Christians is the normal. It's the norm. It's what happens when you live godly. And the apostle Paul knew that he was in danger going to Jerusalem at the closing of his third missionary journey. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit witnesses, witnesses in every city that bonds and afflictions will abide him there. But he said, I don't count my, my life dear unto myself. That's not going to stop me. I want to finish my course with joy. And then when he met some disciples in, in Acts chapter 21 that were entire, and they found out, they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And then he meets, uh, you know, the, Agabus that prophesied that indeed he's going to be captured. And the other disciples heard the affirmation and said, Paul, don't go. 
perhaps Philip and his daughters. Paul, don't go. You know what Paul said? In Acts chapter 21, verse 13, and Paul answered, he says, What mean ye to me and to break my heart? He says, For I am ready not only to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem. Look at this. For the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased and saying, The will of the Lord be done. Listen, that's a sober mind. Right there. That's a sober mind. God's will in any believer's life trumps any emotion. Emotionally, they cared for Paul. It's natural. But God's will trumps it. What about Jesus in the garden? And agonizing. Agonizing, if it be possible. But then he said, no. Take the, remove this cup. But then he said, not my will, but thine be done. Sober mind. Sober mind. God has given us a spirit of love, power, and a sober mind. How do we maintain this attitude in closing? We're almost done. How do we maintain this? We know the theology. We know what God has given us. But how we continue, because knowing it and living it out are two, two different things. you agree with that? How do we live it out? How do we maintain the, the, this attitude, this spirit of power, love, sound mind? I want to give you a quick four things. Number one, prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 3. I want you to go back to first, uh, second, sorry, Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. <coughs> look at verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that with out ceasing, I have remembered of thee in my prayers night and day. You know what Paul understood? Paul understood the power of prayer. You read his epistles, even in the Romans, he asked his readers to, to pray for him. He wasn't ashamed of that. It's not a sign of weakness, it's a strength. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. He, he, he said it regularly. So he understood he needed God's uh, intervention and God's grace to keep him going and so he understood to pray for Timothy to lift him up before God in prayer especially when you're experiencing the trial and tribulation for just living the Christian life uplift him in prayer Lord come before God and intercede that he doesn't become a statistic like Demas no matter how much prayer you put in some people's life, they're always going to go astray. That's the sin unto death. Don't pray for that, John says. But there is a sin that's not unto death. You can actually pray and he'll be recovered. We pray for people. We pray for people in the ministry that are going through tough times, hard times. We pray for them in all genuineness. We lift them up with a broken heart before God and agonize on their behalf. Genuine prayer second of all our love for the word of God we want to maintain and by the way let me just say this before I get to this point don't be afraid to ask for prayer don't be afraid for the the Bible simply says that the the prayer of a righteous man availeth what the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what much don't be afraid ask 
People that love you, ask your wife, ask your husband, ask your friend, ask your pastor. I'm struggling. When you're, when you're, when you're really struggling, pray for it. You don't have to disclose details. And then they lift you up in prayer before the throne of grace. Remember uh, Moses, when there was a battle taking place and Joshua was down there. Moses was lifted up, in, uh, simply lifting up his hands before God. And every time that his hands went down, they'd lose the battle. And every time his hands went back up again, they'd win the battle. I believe that's intercession. Prayer, interceding on behalf of others in prayer. Second of all, a love for the scriptures. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Held fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That word hold fast is to cling to, to not let go. To what? Sound words. By the way, uh, sound words help you keep a sober mind. Where do we get sound words from? The Bible. God's word. This is where you need to renew your mind regularly with God's word. But you cannot if you don't love the word of God. You love the word of God. You saturate your mind with it. Why? So you can prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Love the word of God. If you love the word of God, you'll embrace it. Uh, Job says he, he, he esteemed the word of God more than his what? More than his necessary food. Jeremiah says, I found thy words and I did eat them. You know, they, they were like honey, sweet to his taste. Love the word of God. Embrace it. Live it out. <clears throat> Uh, look at uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Look at chapter 3, look at verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Look at verse 12. Ah, oh, sorry, we back it down to verse 14. He says, but continue thou in the things of which thou hast uh, learned, and hast been short of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, continue in them. Because you know from, from a child, Timothy, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. They were the very things that made you wise, uh, wise unto salvation and having faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? These are the things that will continue to build you up. They will reprove you. They will correct you. They will instruct you that you would become the man of God that God wants you to be. Continue in the Scriptures. Love the Word of God. Love it. Thirdly, the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit. Go back to 2 Timothy 1.6. Uh, verse 14, sorry. We'll have a look at 1.6 in a moment, but look at verse 14. It says here, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the what? That dwelleth in her? Us. It's so imperative that you and I are spirit-filled Christians. In other words, we're controlled by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God leads us and guides us and we'll continue to do the very things that God is leading us to do. Not quenching the Spirit of God. Not grieving the Spirit of God. But allowing the Spirit of God to do what He does best in our life. It's so important. The Spirit of God that dwells within us. And look what he says in verse 6. He says, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the what? The gift of God. You know that word stir up means... To, to, to simply rekindle, to keep the fire burning. And we know that the spiritual gifts comes from who? The Spirit. And back in the days of Paul the Apostle, he laid hands on them. It doesn't, it's not simply 
practice today like it was back then in the days of the apostles but over here we see uh, he says to rekindle or to to keep a light or a flame to keep on fire how do we quench the spirit of God when we don't live by faith when we uh, disobey the very things that God has called us to do and he's saying Timothy stir it up rekindle it know what God has gifted you and called you to do and do it do it yeah, what has God called you to do? We need to be faithful in those little things before God can reveal those other things. Be faithful in coming and gathering together and serve one another and love one another. Be faithful in those things that God has really spelt out in the, in the, in the scriptures. Do them with all your heart. With all your heart. Uh, you know what the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 11 says this, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord fervent in spirit serving the Lord Jesus said to the church of Laodicea who was lukewarm church he says I know thy works he says that thou art neither cold or hot he says I would that you were cold or hot so then because thou art lukewarm neither cold or hot I will spew thee out of my mouth beloved brethren the difference between a a, a living church and a dead church is uh, simply uh, godly people allowing the spirit of God to continue to move them forward in prayer uh, forward in preaching and forward in practice. We don't want our Christianity to be mundane and vain and religious. We want it to be real and authentic. We don't want God to be outside of the doors and knocking and saying, let me in. We want to be Christians in the 21st century that will understand, listen, and we don't need signs and wonders to live a holy, vibrant, fervent Christian life. We live by faith, not by sight. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Look what he says here. We see these people that he lists that in the perilous times, there's a whole heap of list. These that love pleasure and self more than God. Look, look what he says. We see a, a, a show of piety with no power. Look at this. Having a form of what? godliness but denying the what power thereof he says what from such what turn away listen we have showy christianity all over youtube people falling all over the place that's not christianity man you watch christianity like that people uh, going all crazy and speaking and gibberish and all the rest that's not christianity that's not christianity we have people burning incense and being pious and walking very slowly with a candle like that. That's not Christianity. God has not called us to do those things. That's not Christianity. Read your Bible and you see. And you need to be saturated with the Word of God to understand the mind of God and how the Spirit of God will lead you. Test all spirits, whether they be of God. How do you do that? Get in the Word of God and see. And have a prayer life and walk with God. And then this is, I guess, mentioned it have a prayer life, walk with God, relying on the Saviour. This is uh, the final one and we're done. Look at verse 13. 2 Timothy 1, look at verse 13. He says here, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith, in faith and love which is in her. Let me just say this to you. Without Christ... And leaning and relying and depending upon the Lord, you can never, ever continue 
to be everything that we just heard and more. Christ and his grace, which is sufficient, is the only one that will see you through. And if that's all you had, and you're on the four by four and you lost everything, but you had Christ, that's all you need. Have a look at 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in who? There it is there. Leaning on God's grace, which is in Jesus Christ our Savior. The very source and definition of God's grace. Yeah, be strong in His grace. Be strong in His grace. You know, Paul starts his epistle by reminding Timothy of the grace of God. Listen, and he closes the epistle by reminding Timothy of God's grace. Look at 2 Timothy 1. Look at this. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Look at this. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go to chapter 4 and I want you to see this. Look at this. Look at verse 22 as he closes the letter. The Lord Jesus be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen, which is let it be. You know how Paul finished? You know, when he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. That's in chapter 4. We see that. You know how he finished? We'll have a look at the next verse. Look at verse 8. Henceforth, there is a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, thus shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also who what? Man, if you're looking and loving is appearing and you want to see his face, you're walking with him now. And you're depending, you're depending upon him now. Without God's grace, we're done. We cannot do anything. We need God's grace. We can't just say it as cliche. We need to know and understand that without his grace, we cannot be a good soldier, which is referenced in chapter number two. We cannot be a good athlete. We cannot be a good farmer. We cannot be a good student. And we cannot be a good servant. You read chapter 2 and see those things in God willing. I'd love to bring those five different things that God has called us by his grace to be, to please him. To glorify him. That should be the desire of every single one of us. That I want to live my Christian life. That my end goal will bring him glory. And that's not cliche. But I believe with all my heart, the end goal that brings God's glory is living the Christian life now, doing his will by his grace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.